welcome to Film Lovers. My name's Sonia Chung, where I'll be talking to people who work in the film industry and who are also avid film lovers. Today, I'll be talking to writer, filmmaker and DP, Maya Avidov. Hi, Maya. How are you today? Hi, Sonia. I'm well. How are you? Good. So you're in Tel Aviv at the moment, aren't you? I am. I'm visiting family after a long break from the pandemic. Um, were you situated in uh, England before you went out there? Yeah, I've been in London for nine years. Okay. Quite a while. So when was the last time you got to see your family before it all uh, October 2019. Wow. A long time. Yeah. yeah, that is a long time. Uh, we are, yeah, we're now in uh, almost October 2021. That's so crazy, it's, isn't it? Yeah. It's like the whole year. Where where did that go? <laughs> a couple of years. It's, yeah. Uh, Quite, quite, yeah, quite sad. Uh, but it's fine. I'm very glad to be here. Yeah, no, they must be happy to see you as much as you are to see them. How long have you been out there for then? About a week. Okay. Very, very hot week. It's been very <laughs> hot here. Are you going to be there uh, for another week or so? Yep. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, very cool. Oh, okay. Well, Maya, why don't you start off by um, introducing yourself and tell us. Um, how you got into doing what you're doing? Um, so, for instance, if you went to university, or instance, or just how you started off, and what jobs you had to do in order to get into your career that you're doing now. Um, okay, so I'm a writer, director, DP, which stands for director of photography. I have a very long education history. I studied still photography and fine art for many years before I started studying film. And okay. Then I went to yeah, and then I went to film school in Jerusalem at the Sam Spiegel uh, School of Film. Okay. And um, I've had, I would, I would break up my career into like two large parts, which is basically Israel and then the UK. Okay. So um, in Israel, I did, so I, I, I basically was thought for the longest time I'd be only a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even though I was constantly being told by friends and colleagues that like I don't really talk like a DP I talk like a director which at that time I found very offensive uh but I grew to love to because I had worked with a lot of directors and to me directors at that time um needed to be coddled there was something very oh, I apologize there that's was right something very um yeah they like directors were a little bit I think I think a lot of DPs uh view directors the way directors view actors right as as a bit of a like you know sometimes emotionally unstable oh really uh, well i mean not that's not but like like they need they need a lot and they require a lot especially in in the low in the indie world mm. um so anyway i i was a dp and i worked for many years as a dp and then but i also while i was at film school my day job was i was an assistant editor okay um and uh, which is very rare for a DP to do, but basically I, I, I went into editing rooms because I wanted to see what didn't make the cut. Right. And how things put together. Because mm. I figured from like a lighting perspective and a composition and movement perspective that I would learn a lot from practice and I would learn and and, and I would learn a lot from just like imagination and also coming from my stills um, background. But learning how they really come together, I would only learn in the editing room. So I, I did that, and I worked on lots of films, uh, quite a few that were um, Oscar-nominated, but nobody in the UK has ever heard of them because oh my the UK God. doesn't really care about foreign films, even though the entire world is 
fighting to occupy five slots versus all the English speaking languages. Yeah. Sorry, uh, countries that are like, you know, they have more things. Anyway, I, yeah, I, I was kind of, uh, so when I moved to the UK, I was kind of shocked at how, I think I'm still quite shocked at how um, isolated it is in mm. terms of its view of anything that isn't American or British, ultimately. Mm. Um, when the majority of films in this world that are made are not English speaking, no, um, and also just the, like how how uh, how little these films got distributed. Like, there's no distribution in the like. I, I would speak to like um, British colleagues about super famous films, and they had no idea what I was talking. Really? About. So, like, yeah, there's like no interest, but also no. Um, Which is really sad because there's so many great foreign films out there that nobody's ever heard of because it hasn't had the exposure it deserved. Well, everyone's heard of them, yeah, except uh, for people in the UK. Right. Um, and occasionally people in the States as well. Mm. It is quite, I find it very surprising that it's, yeah, I just, like in Israel, like, for example, I'd say for a foreign film to get distribution for a week in the UK, it would probably have to win Cannes. Mm. And then it would probably only go to like London, maybe Manchester and Liverpool, maybe five screenings. And that's it. And that's it. Um, like a good example of that is like, um, I can't remember his last name, Ruben something. He um, he did a False Majeure, which won Cannes, which is one of the best films of, of the past decade. And that like, I think got like maybe five nights in the cinema after really? one Cannes. And then The Square, which he made, which is an English speaking Film, for the most part, sure. partially got full distribution. So it's a very like it's it's it, it, it's very bizarre. Um, it's, but anyway, so um, my career I would say spans into two, which is like working in Israel, where I was working with like really great filmmakers who were doing quite interesting things. Um, I worked on a lot of docs and fiction. That's another thing that in Israel, like we don't. Um, differentiate between docs and fiction mm -hmm. we differentiate between docs and journalism okay so a documentary so a documentary filmmaker is only obligated to the truth of his film versus a journalist who's actually obligated to the truth right so we don't expect to be educated by documentary filmmakers we expect to see an artistic impression of what this person thinks of as reality okay but Yeah. That's so, like, versus journalism that has a, um, a very different code of ethics. They both have a code of ethics, which is quite different. Um, can you think of some examples of directors who would do? So I worked on Walter Schumer, for example, which is like the first animated documentary. Right. Oh, that's really interesting. And that, like, was basically uh, Ari, the director. He recorded conversations with friends of his. He then transcribed them. He then took those transcriptions re-edited them into a script, hired actors to play that script, and then ha had animators animate what was shot. So, wow. and that's documentary. Okay. Uh, but you have lots of, you have Avi Mugabe, who actually is just about to be awarded, Doc Leipzig, he's like about to be awarded, um, like a, I think a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. And he does like amazing documentaries that are like super, artistic and very expressive, mostly about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict sure. but, but and about living in it. But, they're, you know, some of them are musicals. Some of them have animated. They are all, like, they don't come from, a, a, again, like a journalistic uh, opinion. Okay. They're, not, they're not used as educational sure. things. So 
the UK versus, so everyone in Israel makes everything. You make what you can and, and you make quite a lot. And film is film and film is manipulation. You're not really obligated. So versus the UK where like, you know, you're a doc filmmaker, which is mostly means you want to make long form journalism. Right. Um, doesn't usually make anything else. Doesn't make fiction. And isn't seen as like capable really of making mm. fiction. Uh, so that's really weird. That was a, a very big, that was another strange leap for me was sort of seeing like how um, segregated like genres are. So like, um, so yeah, that, and I also don't think of documentary as a genre. I think of it as a method because you can have musical docs, you can have all the same, you can have thriller docs, all the, all the genres that would exist in fictional film exist also in documentary okay. film. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a methodology rather than a, a genre. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was what. So so then. So I worked here for a long time, uh, and then I moved to the UK in 2012. Uh huh. Um, Is that in London? Yeah, London specifically. Mm -hmm. And I had like a sort of uh, a baptism by fire, I guess. Like <laughs> I got moved without knowing. I, I didn't know anyone. And I moved to the UK because I spoke speak English and I had a European passport, which at the time meant something um and then um and i have high 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 respect for british actors i mean i really can't emphasize how much i have respect for british actors i've seen british actors take the worst scripts and make them quite good yeah um, which is so, what they have to do don't they i mean there's some terrible yeah. films that got released in hollywood and if you think about it like the big blockbusters they're not the scripts aren't the best thing in the world <laughs> Um, but, but then um, the actors know that. Israel, it's the opposite. So we have great directors and great scripts, and the actors aren't that great. Oh, really? It's the other way yeah. around. So I, so I always think of it as sort of like the, in, in the UK, like the the, the the filmmaking is kind of here, but the acting really elevates it. And in Israel, I see it as the opposite. Right. Um, I have a friend who went to, from, who was at my film school in Jerusalem, who went to film school in uh, Austria and Vienna to Hanukkah's film school. And Hanukkah like really likes uh, Israeli films, and he said, uh, "Oh, Israel, you have uh, you have lots of uh, good actors." And my friend says, "You clearly don't speak Hebrew." <laughs> uh, and Hanukkah also laughs, and I said that that sounds to me like the most petrifying concept in the world of Michael Hanukkah laughing is scary. Just the idea of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I moved to the UK, and after having like never looked for work really in Israel, always just had work. I uh, I promptly didn't work for five years. Wow. Because I found out that nobody in the UK cares about anything that happens outside of the UK unless it happened in Hollywood. And even then, they don't really care. That's that's pretty bad. <laughs> that's quite... It's, it is really yeah, awful when you think about it. It, it is um, what it is, I suppose. Mm. Um, I, I was just really shocked because uh, as... A, and I think I've, I've spoken about this with lots of immigrants. You think of London as this very worldly place. And it isn't. No. It's, it's a whole microcosm. And it doesn't also... It doesn't... Full, like, it thinks that the only place to go to is the States. Like, it doesn't... Like, that's the only way up. Yeah. Does that make, um, which is probably why people also don't learn other languages. But the truth of the matter is that, like, France, Germany... India, Nigeria have massive, massive, massive film industries, and um, well, especially yeah. India. I mean, I think don't yeah. Bolly, Bollywood make twice the amount of films that Hollywood. Yeah, and so do. does Nollywood in Nigeria. Is that so in Hollywood? Wow, yeah. 
it's, I think that's like the largest film industry in the world. Really? So do you think it's overtaking the Indian Bollywood? Yeah, but again, I think it's very, I think Bollywood, uh, from what I've seen of Bollywood versus Nollywood, um, I would say that Bollywood by far have better production value. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, and also like, I think, I could be wrong, but I think in India, filmmaking is the third largest industry. Wow. So it like, employs a lot of people. people. So it's a big part of their, yeah, it, it, it has serious significance. Sure. So, yeah, um, so I didn't work for many years and I kind of kept taking jobs in Israel to keep going. I applied for lots of, I applied for an insane amount of jobs. Um, so, yeah, so I basically uh, learned kind of um, the hard way how to write a cover letter, which is really a, like I had never really experienced it and took many years for uh, and someone to reply to any of my CVs, even though, again, I had four Oscar-nominated films on my CV, but just... It's crazy, I mean, isn't it? Nobody had heard of it. I had an interview with um, film company, like, I don't know, I must have been in the UK at least three or four years. Okay. And uh, I had an interview with someone to, like, try to, like, whatever, get pretty, pretty work that I was definitely overqualified for and, um, like, an entry position. And I had gotten it because of fr uh, this person, basically, one of the partners was Israeli, and I met a different partner, and he said, oh, you worked on Walls with Bashir. We love that film. Wow. We would never have made that film. We still would never make that film. And you're like, why would you not make a film that got international distribution, was nominated for an Oscar, won several like yeah. awards, and he's like, yeah, it's just, it's too risky. And you're like, but it's already been proven that it isn't mm. risky. Anyway, I felt like that was very, uh, anyway, so that was kind of very eye-opening to as to like where it is that I, I live right now. So were you doing, in between uh, working on projects, were you just trying to pick up on any work that came Yeah, I was away? doing any work. I was doing a, still a lot of work in Israel, like a, like remote work at the time. I was like, uh, I was trans, so a lot of like Israeli cinema was quite, relatively quite successful. And I was doing a lot of translations of scripts for labs. Okay. I was doing, um, I, I was shooting like stuff within London for Israeli productions that needed like in London to shoot. I was doing like kind of this and that uh, whilst continuously always like applying for open briefs. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, and like really kind of not getting anywhere for the longest time. I mean, I um, so I kept applying, not even like passing the first round. Wow. Um, Which so must have been very frustrating for you, I'd imagine. I mean, I've still <laughs> never gotten money from lots of like well known. I mean, I, I think that it's very. If you were to look at like, um, if you were to look at like, actually do an evening and look at like the films that get made with public money, it's a very clear tone. Yeah. And maybe not the tone that I created. Mm. Um, and so, um, and then there was there, uh, the first thing I got actually money for, I got like 500, literally 500 quid, which was like nothing to make a, a short film for the British library via ideas tap. Okay. That's really which good. Which was, yeah, which was an organization that um, promptly closed after George uh, Osborne became chancellor. They couldn't survive the, the cuts yeah. and they were like quite, and again, they, um, and it was like my last year that I could apply for them because they had a cutoff date of, you had to be under 30. Wow. Uh, which a lot of funds, by the way, have. Really? Yeah, a lot of funds have the cutoff date of 26 or 30. Okay. Um, which is insane. That is mad. Um, and you'd think illegal, but it isn't apparently. Um, 
anyway, so they, um, so I did that, and that was really fun, and that was a short film I made called The Natural Habitat, which is like a parody of like classical music to an extent. The the brief was to make short film kind of that brief um, had these like wildlife sounds. Mm-hmm. So me and a, uh, I had a friend of mine basically compose a, a short like three minute composition of music only from wildlife, and I had actors act like a choir. Okay. Um, and that's called the natural habitat. Um, and then I basically kept sort of everything I've made in the UK has been self-produced and self-funded. So I just kept making more and more short films. And then right now I'm actually finishing a short film that I shot about six months before the pandemic started. And then I shot the finishing day kind of right in between lockdown two and three there was like a window in which i got like one day oh it's very lucky timing yeah it was really lucky like literally the day after everything had scheduled they had announced that four days later there would be another lockdown so i was very fortunate and you asked me how i how the pandemic has affected me Mm. i would say that mostly it affected me in the sense that i couldn't be in the same room with my editor which is um, a bit tricky when it yeah, comes really to... difficult and really kind of not how I like to work at all um, I don't really edit for myself but I, I it's very important for me to be in the same room with the editor and to work collaboratively I, I don't really like to send off material and get cuts back I feel like I well you, well, you especially the director you want to be there and kind of have a sort of say about what how you yeah, want you it to you come out else could be yeah, because you weren't there for all the experiments, right? Exactly. You only get like like what they think currently work. And I have a really great editor, but still, like I, I was like I, uh, I need to be slightly more. I, I don't think I micromanage at all, but I do think that I, I would get the cut, and I I would only wonder about like what I'm not seeing, even sure. if it worked. Yeah. Um, which it did. I'm happy to say. So anyway, now I'm in the final uh, stages of um, editing that, and I hope it'll be done by the end of this year so that took, yeah, <laughs> that took way longer than i had anticipated it to take because of the pandemic ultimately so you had to i guess uh raise your own money for that then unless yeah I, um so i have a day job where I, i'm an archive producer for quite a lot of shows quite a lot of television i i'd um i'd saved enough money to make a, a film so i did that and also it was very ironic because I, I shot it of course in my own house and stuff like that and i thought I was doing it on the cheap uh, mm. because, like, I wasn't paying for location. It was only two actors, blah, 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 blah. It, it came out the same as if I hadn't shot it in my house. Really? Yeah, because, like, things add up. Sure. And I had really good actors, and I'd pay them, you know, so equity. Or, and um, I had a great casting director. Like, you know, it, like, it's, it's kind of... I had, you know, really good, uh, the amount of things I didn't pay for and yet that it still came out like an average film is quite, because every, everyone got paid even though like, I'll, you know, the, I kept the gear to a minimal and all that. Sure. Um, yeah, so that's, um, that I like I, I, I hadn't made a film at that point for three years and it's weird how I had forgotten. How much? So many things like, like that there's no such thing as doing things cheaply. No. <laughs> Even if you, you're getting, like, a lot of free stuff, like, uh, it was still, like, the, yeah, I mean, it could have been more, obviously, mm. but it was still, like, quite quite a lot of, um, uh, yeah, money. But I'm very pleased with it. It's a very uh, performance-based, performance-focused short film. It's, like, there's no cool shots. It's not, 
that does know I, I keep saying that like I think of it as like um, the metaphor I keep using is like it's like mashed potatoes so mashed potatoes can either be the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world I'll so be like Marmite <laughs> yeah we're like right you only have like three or four ingredients right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they have to kind of come together and, and, and it's in the technique of how that makes them great come or together. just regular kind of yeah so like that's kind of how uh, I've been uh, thinking about it so yeah I'm quite excited about it I think the again like I think it's a, the one of the the first short film I've made that like is really is so so like solely like uh, performance focused and really I'm quite like pleased with I'm really happy with the actors I think they did a really great job and again like I have such a love and admiration of like British actors that like I finally feel like I got to like put that uh, in in motion and just like focus on them so yeah that was so I'm looking forward to it. Um, when you're hoping that will come out. Uh, before the end of the year, I okay. hope it will be done, and then we'll send it to festivals and see, see what happens. The festival runs hard work, isn't it? Are you doing it by, what was, and there's that website which sends them off to every, every one oh, of there's, them. Uh, Film Freeway is like, that, that's, that's it. That's like the platform through which, but I, I'll probably, um, yeah, I, I might send to a few, um, there are these like festival strategists, mm -hmm. so I might send it to a few of them first to ask how they would. They think I should distribute it. See okay. What they say. Take it from there. It's it's a very long, interesting, difficult yeah. process, isn't it? Everyone thinks it's easy, but no, it's it's just like any other product. You have to go through various. I feel like also with like short films, as a person who works on like quite a lot of features and quite a lot of television, yeah, and why people stop making short films because they end up a lot of them costing as much as a feature. Like I have a friend who produced a film, which she said a short film, which she said was low budget, but it was fifty k. And you're like, that's not low budget. No. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, it is. It is if you were to divide it. I'm sorry, it's not low budget. It's quite a lot of money if you were to divide that money per minute of screen time. Sure. This is like, I, like I, I know I have a lot of friends who make like indie features, and they're like, I. It takes the same amount of energy and almost the same amount of time to make a feature. Why would you make a short? Which yeah. I totally get, although mm. I, I personally love short films. But, um, so, yeah, and I always say that, like, about short films, and I think that most people who made a short film have experienced that, like, they shot it over two or three days, and then they edited it from six to eight months, right? So, like, because a lot of times, you know, there isn't that much money to, like, block out a room and post or whatever, so you're kind of doing it in between, and things just take time. Yeah. Ultimately. Especially um, if you're working on something that's, probably a much longer film than that's yeah i mean even a short screen. like i like I, I made this short film for the listener project a few years ago which is this great duo of producers who like they building industrial buildings that are about to be like destroyed or probably made into like luxury flats um uh they go in and they get like four filmmakers and they give them each four rooms at random and they give uh, and a day to make a film in that room so I, I made a film called The Listener um, for them at uh, a mannequin factory. It was very cool. Oh, and wow. In, in, in a, in, I got the warehouse section. Um, and then um, I basically had a day to write, a day to cast, and a day to shoot, which is very fast. But then, like, the edit was seven months long. So wow. that's, like, very – that's super common. Like, in film school, you also have that. You, like, work for, like, let's say two or three months on pre-production and then shoot for, let's say, anywhere between 
two and five days and then edit for another eight months. That just seems to be, and that's, these are people who like, that's all they were doing. It wasn't like, cause they're, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's very common. I totally get how, uh, how much work goes into a short film and how similar it is to making a feature, but for less screen time. Sure. There was a question I was going to ask you because you're the first tour fe female fe filmmaker I've spoken to. Right. Um, why do you think it is that at, there just seems to be more male film directors of filmmakers than there are females? Do you think that's changing? No, I think that's totally changing. Which um, is really good because there's a different perspective I think female directors can bring on to. It is, but we're always like only allowed to make female stories, whatever that means. But you know what? I was thinking, um, what's her name? Catherine Bigelow. She Catherine Bigelow is an amazing anomaly, but there isn't another one like her. Yeah, because so you know what the for, like Lana Wachowski, who started out her life not as a female. I can't think of one other female action film director. Yeah, because... So, like, she's very unique, Catherine Bigelow. Well, she and is. Also, yeah, sorry. But mm -hmm. also, like, the other thing that's super unique about her is that almost all of her protagonists are men, men which yeah. is very rare for a female director. Yeah, that's true, actually. Because... It's, um, yeah, it's you're almost ostracized. For, like, I, I was just telling... I told my friend yesterday, I, I did this film night for, like, female filmmakers, and I was talking to, like, a bunch of... I was, you know, we were like mingling before, like we, I was being introduced to the other filmmakers on the bill, and they asked me, um, what, what was my film? And I said, well, it's probably the only one with a male protagonist, so I'll probably stand up. And mm. they just, they looked at me and they're like, why would you have a male protagonist? Really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's how I, it's how the script came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is. I think I think if you ask like why there are more male filmmakers, I think that like filmmakers exist where the money is, and I think if men get more money to make films, there'll just be more male filmmakers. That's just like the statistic of it. Yeah, um, I think that like um, there definitely needs to be more female filmmakers. Yeah, but I think that there needs to be more. In my taste, there needs to be more female filmmakers like Edgar Wright and Catherine Bigelow. Mm. I like I like I I don't see any. Like even, I don't see any um, female filmmakers, and I, I, like I, I, I'm saying this like specifically, being allowed to make non women's stories, however they're defined by the industry. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Versus like uh, men, and specifically white men, are allowed to tell any story they want, mm. and women have are like kind of, they have to tell their 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 protagonist has to be female or. It's always a certain like thing. Yeah. Versus Which, like if, if, yeah, if you want to write, if you're a female or a person of color, and you want to write, let's say, a comedy with two white male leads, you're never making that film. That film, nobody wants to support that film. Really? That's yeah. that's bad, though, isn't it? When you think about it. I mean, it's definitely profiling, and it has nothing to do with the merit of the script of the film. Yeah, that's really. It's sad, actually. I do. I mean, I know it's gradually changing. Yeah. Like you're beginning to see more uh, races of actors in films. They're not so typecasted. There aren't so many white actors out there. Being no. On it. Um, which, I mean, what was the, that, that name of that series that was on Netflix where they're all like the hierarchy? It was like these dupes. And, and it's amazing because you had like black actors and Asian oh, actors. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's just like, well, yeah, why, why, why can't that be done? You know, um, there's so many amazing 
actors and like you guys amazing talent going on out in there in the world so um it's it's a shame i mean i know it's gradually changing i do remember when i was in college we did um a term of avant-garde films we had to write an essay about at the end and um one of the films we saw and i don't think we got told it was a female director till the very end when we were like analyzing the film was um the one of keanu reeves and patrick swayze that she did uh, yeah point blank point break and um that was defined as avant-garde well there were bits of it with the way the color the blues and things i mean it was a long time like it's a heist movie it is a heist movie but <laughs> there's scenes where i can't remember maybe it was something else but there were bits of it with the way she used color and stuff of it but yeah it's been a very long time but i just it was no. just a clip it was either a clip of it or the whole thing she showed us i can't even remember to be honest but but um you wouldn't have thought that was i mean we were kind of shocked when we realized that was a female director because it's like you said it was a very manly film they're all men really aren't they in that film all of her films hurt locker detroit the hurt locker as well States, which is like one of my top top like i love that film um uh, yeah i think i think she makes films yeah i don't think she makes female films no no I think she just makes films like like i don't think that even if you look at the female counterpart um played by i can't remember laura or something the, the surfer chick that like yeah uh, yeah, yeah. You know, i know who you're talking about deals with the counteries um so she uh but she seems to be the only one in it i think yeah, but she is the only one in that world is she's not it, there's no tokenism i think like no. i totally believed everything about her and like she's you know and she's also like not overtly anything right she's not like not really a, she's not really a tomboy she's totally secure in her f femininity um there is something about the way Catherine Bigelow like directs her characters as simply people rather than gender performances. Mm. I think that, that like repeats itself a lot, and that's probably why, like her, but like I, yeah, and, she, and she's just very um, talented and also super fortunate because I think she came up in a time where uh, there was no there there were no so few female filmmakers that wasn't expected of a female filmmaker no. to make the type of film no not at all so she she makes really great action movies i mean yeah. she truly does and like that's I, I i really there isn't another one like her sadly mm. but I, I feel like now maybe with like the marvel films there are more female uh filmmakers making action films but they're also like comic book, like book movies which is a bit that's a bit different that's a bit of a more like well camp the word camp comes to yeah mind. no like, i know what you mean um uh, but do you know what um because it's funny because we're talking about female oh, yeah. directors um i remember when i was uh 22 it must have been uh, yeah um and i remember seeing lost in translation so that's another one sophia is it coppola coppola yeah. who who's um oh i can't even remember his name uh the one who directed the godfather films oh yeah Francis Ford that's it uh she's she's his niece isn't she daughter da oh daughter okay um so um but that was an amazing film lost in translation yeah i think she does 
Did she win an award for that? She, she I know. Won best won. Screenplay, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, I love Lost in Translation. The first female screenwriter to win that award. Okay. I think that that's a great film, and yeah. I think that it is a, a very feminine film. Yeah. Like a beautifully feminine film. I well, think I mean, it great. mainly follows her, doesn't it? I mean, it follows her meeting him. Yeah, I think that the Bill Murray character definitely has his own storyline for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Their I, chemistry uh, was really for good. For the longest it. time, she was like. Yeah, I really adored a lot of her films, and I thought that she does. And this is not a diss in any way, because I think she really adds quite a lot of depth to it. But I think she does girly shallowness in in in, in a truly authentic way. Really? Like I think that she like a bit like uh, maybe like like the stranger like Camus, like she does apathy in a really really good deep way. way. I think I think she's really like she has a lot of depth in her girliness. Mm. Um. And yeah, I think that that's like quite. Yeah, I think Boston Translation is a really great film. Yeah, and so beautifully shot. It is. It's like, iconic. It's her love letter to Tokyo, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think so. I remember at the time when it came out, reading uh, a, a review of it, and it, which I put it really well. She says it, it's the most accurate description of being a foreigner in a foreign land. It is. Yeah, I it think is. It does that very well. Um, and you know what's funny is that well you're probably a bit like me because you you've traveled so much and um i i went to hong kong a few times because my dad was over there and then also i studied mandarin in shanghai and 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 you kind of and i remember feeling especially in shanghai you kind of feel like that do you know yeah. what i mean like her being in tokyo because yeah, it's hard to explain, but it it's exactly like that. You feel the kind of like um, you know, there's the language barrier. There's the fact that you kind of stand out so much and that there's very few white people walking around. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's a, sure. you do feel completely lost in that kind of Yeah, especially if you like you don't speak the language and also there's no um accountability, right? Like you don't have to be anywhere at any time. You can totally reinvent yourself, yeah. or you can uh, kind of not re like. I think that I think that she's quite lost there. Well, nobody right? knows her, does do they? And, and actually, well, her husband. She's like waiting for her husband to finish a gig, right? Yeah, so and the like, husband's not really spending much time with her. Is he? He's kind of he's not ignoring her, but she, he's, uh, he's you know she's she's she feels completely lonely. She doesn't know who she's married, yeah. and you know it's so well, she's she, yeah. I, yeah, I so think she's that, kind of lost in it. She's been left to her own uh, devices. devices. Yeah, and, yeah. And also, kind of maybe like trying to imagine or trying to figure out who she, who she is. Who, who, yeah, who she is. When you take away all your friends, your family, the language you know, um, any type of like uh, commitments. Yeah, yeah. What what is left? Like what? what who who are you? And he's um, kind of like the opposite, isn't he? Because he's. He's a family man, but he's been married for many years, and he's kind of yep. a bit like a washed—he's not a washed-up actor, but you know, he's kind of past the prime of his. Of yeah, his he's also like I think he's lost the like integrity of his youth. I think there's a, a line there where she asks him what he's doing there, and he says, uh, "I'm doing a commercial for money rather than a place somewhere that could have actually." Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's doing a commercial for whiskey, isn't it? And yeah. it's that famous line. I have, I have total fear, like I that. By the way, I don't think that that film is really a work of fiction. I think that that totally all happened. And I think it's very clear. Like, I, so, like, 
Giovanni Ribisi that plays the husband is clearly doing Spike Jones, who's married at the time to Sofia Coppola. Yeah. That, uh, Scarlett Johansson is clearly acting like Sofia, I mean, like to a T. And I have theory about who Bill Murray is, which I think it's, I think he's Gene Hackman. And the reason I think oh. he's Gene Hackman is because there's a scene where he comes across one of his old movies in the television. And it looks exactly like The French Connection, which is a Gene Hackman film. Okay. Well, that's a really interesting uh, notion. Yeah. And I think Anna Faris, I think Anna Faris is Cameron Diaz. Yeah, no, she, I read that. She was based. Oh, she is. She, yeah, I read that, that she was, I mean, she was based on the ditzy blonde actress. Yeah, but also, like, it makes Cameron. sense that it is actually Cameron Diaz, because Cameron Diaz later on is in thing John Malkovich, which is a Spike Jones film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, but there's, like, yeah, just the way she acts. Is so yeah, no, no, she, it was, yeah, I did read that, that she was loosely based on Cameron's Yeah, I don't know how loose it is, because, like, I saw it and I was like, oh, it's, especially when she's like, I'm under the name of Evelyn Waugh, and then they're like, like, uh, and then uh, she walks away and the Scarlett Johansson character says, Evelyn Waugh was a man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, always, I always thought that was uh, very much like, like somebody slightly getting even with somebody else. <laughs> Um, and then like Giovanni Ribisi's character is all like, oh, not everyone went to Yale, and you and, and me being who I am, but it's like, yeah, but everyone can go to the library. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, totally open to people. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, yeah, I think that that film is very, uh, yeah, is very like different, and I think that like like you couldn't find two different filmmakers from Sofia Coppola and Catherine Bigelow. No, They're, like completely not in the same league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Is there anything else you want to say uh, before we sign off? Um, no, I've enjoyed our chat. Yeah, um, no, I did too. It's <laughs> been very fun and thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And we'll be seeing you in the next episode where you'll be giving us a rundown of your favourite films from the 90s. Brilliant. All right. Thank Bye. you, Maya. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Bye.